0: Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Our Father, where can we really go from your Spirit? Where can we flee from your presence? No matter where we go, whether we go up to the heavens, you're there. Whether we make our bed in the depths, you are there. Everywhere you are. We are grateful that whatever place we go to, when we struggle, when we feel lonely, when we feel left alone, you are there. Beside us, within us, watching over us. Not because you seek to harm us, but because you seek to cover us. When we go to work, when we're at work, come home from work, whether we're home all day, whether we go to the park, watch our children play something, go to a meeting, go to a community group, go to the bank, go to the grocery store, you are there. Father, we are grateful for that. To know that your presence is always with us. And though we may try to hide, to hide from you, we are grateful that wherever you are, wherever we are, you are. When we struggle, you are there. When we reject you, you are there. When we rejoice in you, you are there. You are always with us everywhere. And we are grateful that we never have to be alone, though we may feel alone. That we never have to be lonely because you are with us. You will never leave us nor forsake us. And for this we say thank you. Amen. Well, if you want, you can open your Bibles to Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 1. And I want to talk today about waiting on God, waiting and and resting. How many of you would love, uh, even now, to just have a vacation where you don't have to worry about anything? And where you could actually come back refreshed and then not be overwhelmed by the work week ahead of you. Wouldn't that be really nice? Because normally when we take vacations, there's that big build-up, uh, the excitement, all the work that you have to do. Then you go on vacation, and if you're like most people, you run from place to place. And when you come home, you're more tired than you were before. And then you have to go back to work, and all the work's piled up. That's not really resting. And I want to talk about resting today because... I would imagine that most of us, in some way, shape, or form, are probably overwhelmed. Uh, I was reminded of the Beatles song where it says, Eight days a week is not enough to love you. And I was thinking to myself, Eight days a week is not enough to catch up on my schedule. And I could imagine, even if I was given an eighth day or a ninth day, there's always something that would probably come along that would fill it and wouldn't allow me to move forward with the things that I want to move forward to. Am I the only person that feels that? Isn't it just life is overwhelming? And it's not just the busyness of our schedules, but look into your heart and what about the grief or the difficulty or the problems or the pain that is always pressing in on our lives? And it's sort of overwhelming because sometimes we kind of feel like, God, where are you in the midst of all of this? I'm a little overwhelmed. And I need help. And I need a break. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 1 reads this way. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to what he, God, will say to me. And what answer I am to give to this complaint. Now when Habakkuk says, I will stand at my watch, he's not saying this little timepiece here. I'm going to stand by it. What he's really saying is, I will stand by or I will wait for God to answer my complaint. Now, I don't normally suggest this, but if you want to multitask at this moment, here's what I'm going to suggest. I'm not even going to read Habakkuk chapter 1, but if you want to read Habakkuk chapter 1 right now while I'm talking, feel free to do so. But I'm going to try and summarize it just a little bit. Here's the context before chapter 2 comes into play. Habakkuk is an Old Testament prophet, and he's living in the land, and he sees all of the things that are going wrong. Here's some of the things that he says. He says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. In other words, he's saying, this is a really bad situation that we're in. Things are just wrong. In a land where you would expect your reign and rule to be the very obvious reigning and rule thing going on, the opposite is happening. There's violence all over the place. Now, the North American, United States preacher in me would say, isn't this kind of a reminder of the United States? But the reality is, it's probably all over the world. It's in the Philippines, it's in China, it's in Eastern Europe, it's in Africa, where there is a lot of just injustice, a lot of things that are being corrupted and turned inside out. And so the prophet says, why? Why is this, this God, God, this does not make sense to me. Now, I'm not a clinical psychologist, but I'm wondering if what Habakkuk here is dealing with is disappointment with God discouragement in the sense that as he thinks that God this is your land these are your people they are to be seeking you and pursuing you but the opposite is happening and I'm a little bothered by that okay because I have to live in the midst of this and if you've ever experienced any form of injustice it bothers us right even the little things that people get away with you think to yourself that's just not right how do they get away with that And I can't. See, he's angry. And God's answer is classic. I'm not going to read it, but it's very simple. He says, don't worry, Habakkuk. This is really cool. I'm going to take care of it. I seem to be a little silent right now, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring the Babylonians. And the Babylonians are going to come and make everything right. Now, I would imagine... (coughs) Excuse me. I would imagine most of us know who the Babylonians are, but the Babylonians are basically what we would call... The uh, ancient day Isis. Very cruel and mean people. The type of people that don't come in to conquer to help people get better, but they come in to conquer and hurt as many people as they possibly can in order to enrich themselves. Their hope, their desire to destroy things. And so what does Habakkuk say? He says, God, that is crazy. It does not make sense to me That you look at your people who are a problem people who are not following you, doing what is wrong, (coughs) and now what do you want to do? You want to bring in somebody else who's worse. It would be if we looked at state politics and we said, you know what, we have this huge deficit financially. You're not going to do the Peter Lee thing, are you? All right, thank you. All right, thank you. Appreciate that. No offense, I'm still scarred from last week, man. But we look at the huge deficits and we say, hey, you know what? Let's, let's either keep in office or reelect someone else who's going to make it worse. Does that make sense? It doesn't make sense. So if the state of Illinois is $100 billion in debt, why do we want to bring in someone else or keep someone else in who's going to make it $125 billion? And we know it. It's absolute foolishness. So Habakkuk, he's shocked. And he turns to God and he says, God, you are holy. <coughs> You're a holy God who is offended by evil. You should be offended by the evil among your people and do something a little bit different that gets them back on track. But instead, you want to bring a people more evil. That just does not make sense to me. I'm confused. Which leads us to chapter 2, verse (coughs) 1, where Habakkuk says, I will stand at my watch. I will wait. I will station myself on the ramparts. And I will look to see what He, God, will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Why should we wait on God? I think we should wait on God because times are difficult. When should we wait on God? We should wait on God in difficult times. It's the same thing. Difficult How many of you right now are experiencing difficult times? You may have lost a loved one. In the last year. And and as I think of it. In our church just off the top of my head. Three people have lost parents. For a total of four parents that have been lost this year. There's grief. There's probably more. I can think of the struggling marriages. The struggling personal relationships. The struggles with sin. All of these things that are going on in our lives. That are difficult times. And the cry is. God. Where are you? I don't understand because. I I, I read this psalm and the psalmist tells me that you know me and the psalmist tells me that wherever I go, you are already there, you've been there, you're waiting for me sort of thing, and yet I don't feel you, I don't sense you, I don't know where you're at or even what you're doing. I'm confused. You might be in such distress that when you wake up in the morning, your first thought is, oh God, another day of what was yesterday, which was filled with pain. I can't get up. I am so tired. I am so exhausted to think that I will go through another day of being beat down, whether it's your boss or your your job or your spouse or your family or your circumstances or the debt that seems to keep mounting. And wondering in the midst of all this, not only do I not want to get up, I just want to stay here. And you might even be at a place where you want to say, God, I would rather die than live. Now, I'm not going to take my life because I know, you know, Christians aren't supposed to do that. It might be the thought process that you have. But God, if you could just take me, whether it's the rapture or some really quick illness to get this over with, I wouldn't mind. Where is God? And and I think that's Habakkuk's complaint. Where are you, God? I have to experience this. This injustice, this violence, and see it over and over and over. And I would imagine it has probably affected him. It has probably affected his family, those that he loves, the nation that he loves. And he says, oh, God, where are you? And God says, don't worry, I got it. I'm going to do something that's going to mess it all up. And the response is, how could you? But you know what? I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait because I trust that you really do love me. That you really will never leave me or forsake me. So what does Habakkuk do? He waits. He waits. And God answers. And the interesting thing is, it's not the answer that he wants or the answer that he expects. Because God says, yeah, I'm going to take care of them. But the reality is, I think Habakkuk understands that that day will never come when he will see these difficult circumstances being erased in his midst. He will probably die, go to his grave, and never see anything like this happen. But listen to what he says as he gets through to the end of Habakkuk. He says this, <clears throat> Though the fig tree does not bud, And there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. How do you get there? I want to I want to scream at Habakkuk and say, you know, in, in my life or in this church or in the community that I am, I see all this pain, all this difficulty, all of this hurt. And I see people crying out to God, saying, God, help us. And your answer is in time. I cannot wait. But here's what I would say in the midst of all that is we need to Wait. Because I think what happened to Habakkuk was that he experienced God in a way that you're not going to experience God if you keep moving and complaining and being busy. He had to draw himself to that place where he said, I'm going to go on the mountaintop and I'm going to sit and I'm going to wait for God to come. Now, now some of you think, okay, what does it mean to wait? You know, because... Again, I know that we've talked about this, but don't you get frustrated about waiting in line? I mean, that's what we think is really like, man, I have to wait like an extra minute in line. This is annoying. I have to wait because sometimes even at the office, the Internet gets a little bit slow. And I have to wait a few seconds for this screen to pop up because I have to look at this thing now. Waiting for us is something that drives us crazy. And if you're a type A person to actually think that you have to wait on God a God who speaks primarily through His Word, whom you don't have this sort of conversation like we can have when we're a small group or we're talking to a spouse or a family member, what does it really mean to wait? And that waiting, what I think Habakkuk would point us to, is a waiting that says, don't complain, though it's legitimate and right, because God did not get angry at Habakkuk for complaining. But listen, even if it means to keep reading the same verses over and over and over, but to listen, say, God, speak to me. Because in our culture, to even do such a thing is crazy. But many of us suffer for years not experiencing the vine, not because God is holding his hand because he wants to. It's because his people will not wait To hear what he has to speak into their lives. Now, our lives are not easy. Now, I could say, I could shame us all by saying, come on, really guys, is it that bad? Let's think about the church in China and all the stuff that they're experiencing. Let's think about all the churches that are in Africa right now that are experiencing persecution. I mean, that's bad. What we have is really not bad, right? It's not true at all. What we have is difficulty. And it may be different but it's still difficulty. And in the midst of that, what God would call us to do, I think, is to learn how to wait and listen. What is it, God, that you would speak now at this moment to my heart that would give me this unfailing sense of your presence so like Habakkuk, I can turn around and say that no matter what happens, if the crops fail and all the animals die... I will still joyfully praise God. That's divine. I'm sorry. There's no guarantee that you can sit for 15 minutes or 30 minutes and have that happen. But if you don't spend the time to allow God to have it happen, it will not happen until God comes crashing in. Why not save the time, though it sounds crazy, and just say, God, I am here. This moment in my life is difficult. Personally, I'm done. I'm done with these circumstances. I'm done with this relationship. I'm done with you. I'd like to move on. This is not right. But I will wait. For I know, and I trust, that you truly love. We need to wait in difficult times. Flip with me to the New Testament. Luke chapter 10. Familiar verses? Probably hear them at least once a year. Here at Harvest. Familiar story? In our household, when we put the girls to bed, we read this story probably about once a week. Sometimes five days a week because it's one of their favorite stories. I have no idea why a four-year-old and a nine-year-old like the story, but we read it constantly. Here's how it reads. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by it myself? Tell her to help me. Now here I think, and this could be my interpretation. We get to heaven, Jesus might say it differently. But I think he says calmly, Martha. Martha, you are worried and upset by many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. When should we wait? We should wait on God when we are busy. Here's a scenario which I'll just try to draw a quick picture of. But Jesus basically comes into town. This is not a planned visit. So if um, uh, we were invited over, one of our community group members invited us over to their house. And uh, so that's coming up in a few weeks. And so I know two weeks from now when we go there, uh, they'll be expecting us. But for Martha, who's obviously the older sister here, it's her house, as she's there, Jesus sort of comes up with his disciples, knocks on the door and says, hey, we're here. And uh, in in that culture, with the hospitality culture that they have, you just don't have people to come on in and uh, sit down, and uh, you don't have anything for them, and you chat, right? How many of you have, like, when you you have the um, people ring on your doorbell for the magazines, uh, for the pretzels, for all the things that they come along with, the, the M&Ms, how many of you really enjoy that moment? Right? Nobody? Does any, or, or when you have the, the religious people that come and knock on your door, the funny thing is, what we do is, we, we when that front door, this, if you don't know anything about our house, anyone who rings the front doorbell, we know you're not welcome. Okay? I'm going to be honest. All right? They ring the front doorbell, it's like, okay, let's see who it is, and you look who it is, I don't know who they are, we're done. <laughs> They're not going to stand they can ring again. I don't care. I'm just going to go and do whatever it is that I want to do. That's it. You're not welcome. But it's not like that. In fact, in their culture, they only had one door, and I'm not sure they had blinds or anything. So when somebody knocks on the door, it's like, hey, who's there? Oh, man, there's at least 13 of you. Come on in. We're just going to sit around and chat. No, the culture is, man, we got to make something for these guys. And it has to be something good because we want to show them that we're hospitable and all the other good stuff that goes along with that. So Martha, obviously the oldest, starts running around and doing all of these things. And there's Mary, the younger sister, who should be helping out. And I don't know what Lazarus is doing. But as she's there, she's just listening to Jesus. And if you're Martha, don't you ever kind of get upset at people when you're working really hard and you see them sitting back lounging? Right? Let's be honest. If you're working on a project and you're leading the project and you're working hard... And you have some guy and you go into his cubicle, guy or girl, whatever. And they're playing fantasy basketball or fantasy football or doing whatever it is that they're doing. What are you going to say? Oh, cool, man. I play that too. Are you going to do that? No, you're going to be angry. How can you be goofing around when I am working so hard? This is not right. It's not fair. So Martha comes up to Jesus and say, yo. Well, he shouldn't say yo. Maybe that's disrespectful, man. <laughs> I wonder sometimes when preachers do that, if they're going to get to heaven, and God says, you twisted my word, so I'm going to... Anyway, she says, Jesus, can you please tell my sister to quit lazing around, because I'm busy. I'm very busy. i got a lot of things to do here, and it would be really nice if she would just help out. And Jesus says, listen, and I'm going to um, read between the lines. Thank you for being hospitable. And it's not a bad thing to be busy. But it's a better thing to wait. To sit at my feet and wait. Now hear this. Jesus is not saying, I don't think, that it's a bad thing to be busy. It's not. I would say that he wants us to be busy. And not just wants us to be busy about kingdom work and spreading the gospel, but he wants us to be busy because I really think that he wants us to be the best that we can be in whatever that we do so that people might see us and then ultimately him in us. So I'm not saying busyness is a bad thing. What I'm saying is when busyness becomes the big thing, you miss out on the better thing. And for Martha, it became the big thing and she got so focused on that that she was really missing out on the better thing. And Jesus says there is something better than being busy. And so even though every one of us here in some way, shape, or form is probably busy, Jesus would say there's something better. Which is please wait upon me. Sit with me and listen to what I have to say to you. Now, I know some of you are going, that's a little unrealistic. And to be honest with you, it is. Uh, and, And for some of you, to be honest with you also, it's probably not fair because if you look at my job versus your job, I get paid to wait and listen. So I can stand up and say every day, You need to wait and listen because I do it. They would be like an an exercise instructor saying, hey, you know what? Every day you need to exercise because I do it. Well, that's your job, dude. You know, how many of you are putting in 70 or 80 hour work weeks and going to the gym just isn't going to happen because by the time you would even get to the gym, you're going to fall asleep on the bench because you're so tired, right? Some of you have that sort of schedule. Some of you travel so much, I'm surprised that you're not wiped out. Some of you are even overwhelmed in the midst of all of the things that you do in life. And we would say then, it's okay. God understands that my waiting upon him has got to wait because I'm too tired. But I think that would be missing out on what Jesus would really want to say to us is, even in the midst of your tiredness and your busyness, you should still wait because it is better for you to do so. God calls us to be the best that we can be in whatever arena that we are in. But in the midst of that, he also calls us to be the best of who we are in him, in everything that we are involved in. And it doesn't happen when we say I am too busy or I am too distracted to actually spend time with God and really wait on him. And listen, and mind you, I'm not talking about, just let's, you know, sit down and read a Bible verse. Thank you, Lord, for this verse. I'm really going to try and apply it and move on. I'm talking about actually waiting. And I know some of you are screaming back at me saying, I cannot afford to wait. And I think God would scream back and say, you cannot afford not to wait. Because if you are too busy to spend time with God, then I think God would say, then you are doing things that I am not asking you to. To do. Now that might be unrealistic. You might say, you know what, man? You really don't understand what it means to work an 80 hour week. And I will say, I do not. But I think God does. And I still think He calls us, even in the midst of our busyness and our travel, to wait. To me, I would say the issue is no longer about the efficiency or the effectiveness of our lives. I want to be more efficient. I want to be more effective. But a reality that says something, relationally, God, you don't matter. Or, relationally, God, I don't trust you. Or, relationally, God, I don't think you can do it. Which is understandable because sometimes in the midst of our pain, it goes on for years. And you wonder, where is God? But Habakkuk would say, wait... And Jesus would say, wait, we don't have to turn there, but in Mark chapter one, the interesting thing about Jesus, it reads there, it reads that when the sun went down, people came to him to be prayed for, to be healed from their sicknesses, to hear him preach. And the idea is that he went pretty much into the night. But the next morning, very early before the sun rose, Jesus got up. And so when we say, dude, I'm really busy. I cannot spend time with God. Jesus turns around and says, I know what it means to be busy. But I know we must wait on him. For not to wait on him, you may have a very successful life. And when you get to the end of your race, you may look back and say, man, I really accomplished a lot. And I feel good about that. And there may be a way in which God says, you know what, I also am proud of what you accomplished. But, there was something better. And you missed it. Because all of those things that you have accumulated do not translate into currency in heaven. Because while you were building all those successful things, you missed out on me because me in them would have done something even greater. Not necessarily temporally, but eternally, because God's call in our lives, whether you are the traveling consultant or the person who puts in 80 hours a week at work, is not for you to be fruitful and successful in your work without God. It is with Him. Waiting on Him. And I know that I've told you this before. Um, I haven't, I used to have an addiction. Uh, to getting in the car to the radio. <clears throat> had to listen, had to listen, had to listen. And the reason I had to listen was because I didn't want to listen to anything else. I can listen to sports radio, talk radio, and turn off all of the things that are going on in my life. And many of us don't want to wait and listen because if God starts speaking, then things need to start changing. And I was like that. I didn't even want to hear that, you know, if I'm struggling with something, I don't even want to hear the grief. I don't want to hear the pain. I don't even want to deal with it. If I can sweep it under the carpet and move on, fantastic. Because I know eventually I'll become numb to that. How many of us are even numb to our pain? Because it's been going on for so long, it becomes numbness. It's not going to change. So I'm just going to turn it off. If Habakkuk did that, he would have missed out on what God wanted to do. Martha, because she was distracted, if she hadn't said something and turned to Jesus, she would have missed out on what he wanted to do. I lost my radio, like I mentioned, for about four months, and as painful as it was, eventually it got to a place where I had to wait on God. And seeing things the way he sees things happened more frequently because now there was silence in between the road rage and solitude that I might actually be able to hear His voice and understand what is it that you, God, want to do in me. Because there was a period there where I was going through stuff that I was angry at anything and everything, and especially God, because He's not responding to me. And and I don't want to be the kind of um, opiate of the people, Mark's sort of thing, but in the midst of that silence listening to God and understanding that he speaks and says, will you follow me no matter what? Will you lose it all and still follow me no matter what? And obviously the spiritual answer is, oh yes, God, I will. But not really, right? Because you're not going to do that, right? No, you're just going to, you're asking that and you're just going to leave it at that. It's the silence that says, God is working in me that he might work through me. And going through that and now seeing others go through the same thing in the same way with the same feelings helps me to understand that pain is not easy. It's not something we sweep under the carpet and say, "Let's just leave it there." Difficult relationships you don't just put on the side and try to live. They're always hanging there. They're doing something. Difficult circumstances are there. How do we respond to them? I don't know. Because God works in each and every one of us differently, His called is for us to wait. And listen. And let God speak to us in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our busyness. Because God is not just concerned about here, he's also concerned about eternity. And the hardest thing, and yet the best thing for us to learn how to do, is to wait to hear what his voice will speak to us. I don't know if I can really empathize with Habakkuk because what he probably saw, he would have seen firsthand. I don't necessarily see a lot of injustice firsthand. I can talk about human trafficking, but I'm not experiencing it. It's not the same. I'm not in the midst of it. But I think if Habakkuk stood here today, he would say, fellow followers of God, wait. Wait. God will do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. It'll be a difficult road. You will see things that you don't like. You'll experience things that you don't enjoy. But you must wait. So today, whether you're here and you're in the midst of difficult circumstances, I'm not trying to tell you, put your pain away and wait I'm trying to tell you, take your pain to God. And you probably have done it many times over. But keep on expressing and saying, God, where are you? And wait to see what he will do. If you're really busy and reading your Bible and praying has been something that's a nice ideal, but doesn't get experienced anymore, whether you travel as a consultant or you're busy doing whatever it is that you do, the call is to wait and hear God listen to what he might say to you. If you are as young as 6th grade or 7th grade, learn how to wait even now because if you don't develop those habits now, they're not just going to happen later on. Wait. For like with Habakkuk, we can ultimately say, God, no matter what happens, I will joyfully praise you. For being with him and being in him is the very thing that we need. It is not an easy road. It is a difficult road. One that sometimes gets worse before or if it even gets better. But it is a road that God calls us to travel. Because every time you hear those testimonies that drive many of us crazy, that make us feel like we are weak and unfaithful, when people can say, I was in the worst of worst spots, but I will still yet praise him is something that people experience when they wait on God. If you don't wait, what you're basically saying is, I will carry my pain, I will carry my problems by myself. Because waiting on God is inefficient. It is ineffective. And it may seem like that. I will not argue that. It's what Habakkuk experienced. But the call is for us still to be still and know that he is God. Let's pray. Father, when I look into my heart, the hardest thing to do is to wait. though I know it's not fair, though I know it's not right, though I get discouraged, disappointed, and even angry with you. Father, teach me, teach all of us here, what it means to wait. Not to complain only but to wait and hear what you would speak to us in the midst of our pain. In our midst, there are many of us that are just livid with the way things are going. Others have grown numb, expecting that nothing will ever change and that this is the way life will be lived and so I might as well just accept it and move on as best as I can. Absolutely understandable. But it's not you would, what you would call us to. You call us to yourself, like the many before us who have experienced horrible injustice brothers and sisters in the past who have done what is right and paid for it with their lives. Done what is right and paid for it with their jobs. Done what is right and paid for it with relationships that went sour. And as we've suffered for that, we ask, draw us into your presence and help us to wait. Father, for those of us that have become so busy with life, doing so many things, climbing a corporate ladder or a family ladder or whatever ladder it is that we are climbing, and we have neglected you, put aside our Bibles, forgotten to pray, to turn to you, to seek your face. I would ask that you would, in the midst of all of this, draw us to be like Jesus, to pray, even when we're exhausted, for you have asked us to be your children first. You have gifted us with talents and abilities to do the jobs and the things that we do. But may we do what is better, which is to be with you. Help us to wait. To listen. And then, Father, please, step into our lives for we know that you are there but make yourself known give us the comfort the courage the strength to keep pressing on and sometimes when those days come and we just get through the day we ask for a season of rest and hope in you that by Habakkuk, we can say, "God, no matter what happens, I have seen your glory, and I will joyfully praise you, for you are God." Bring us to that place, Father. It is a place many times we don't want to drag ourselves to, for we have no energy to rise though it seems strange, sometimes even no energy to simply lie down. May we find you in this place of rest. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church.